Welcome to another episode of Sustainable Goat. I'm Steve Cassingham, and I interview the greatest of all time in sustainability from the past, present, and into the future. In this episode, I talk with Lindsay McCormick, founder and CEO of Byte. Toothpaste tubes are a huge contributor to trash, and most toothpastes are not very clean when it comes to product transparency. Well, Lindsay set out to change this narrative and is the true story of started it out of a living room. Byte has created clean, sustainable toothpaste tablets, deodorant, and is expanding into other products in your everyday life. Let's jump right into Lindsay's story. I'd love to start with just a little bit about your story and where you're from and how you became who you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, my name is Lindsay McCormick. I'm the founder and CEO of Byte. And uh, I've always been, you know, really passionate about the environment. I was a, like a longtime vegan vegetarian. I, I literally turned vegetarian when I was like six years old, seven years old. My parents were just, they were floored. They were like, they didn't understand what to do with me. They were like, okay, well, you just need to eat a peanut butter sandwich with every meal so you get your protein. They're just like, totally, they're like, whatever, man, you do you. Um, so, but, and then I became a surf instructor and a snowboard instructor after college. So I was out in the water and in the mountains every day. And, you know, I had, I taught right up here in Malibu. And I was kind of seeing the amount of plastic, I'd done it for four years and the beginning of, you know, teaching. And then towards the end, I was just noticing kind of more and more plastic washing up on my board. And so I uh, eventually went into TV. I was a TV producer and I wanted to, I was kind of building up my toolkit. I wanted to make my own documentaries like nature, animal, wildlife documentaries, which was like my dream job. And I was like, honestly, like pretty, I mean, I was, I was in TV. I was working on a show for HDTV. Um, I had worked, you know, on shows for travel channel and uh, like discovery, but this before bite, it was HDTV and I loved it. I was traveling all the time for work, you know, kind of building up that toolkit. And it was from when I was traveling that I noticed I was going through those little toothpaste tubes and it was super wasteful. Like I, you know, it felt like I had my shampoo and my conditioner. I would just refill it every time I was home, um, you know, between shoots, but then I was throwing out this little toothpaste tube and I was just like this, I was like, there's gotta be something that I can bring so I can travel with that. I'm not throwing out this little piece of plastic. And so I looked in the, on the market and there was nothing that was, that worked for that, you know, and then I started learning about all of the harsh chemicals, artificial flavors, preservatives that are in commercial toothpaste and the fact that a lot of it is tested on animals and I'm a longtime vegan. So I was like, wait a minute. I was like, I got to figure out like totally different like options for this. And that was the beginning of bite. That was uh, in 2018. Wow. Okay. So the, your story is fascinating. Wow. This is um, cause I I'm originally from Santa Cruz. So like that whole like mountain surf beach, I totally get it. And even, even I went, I was in Santa Barbara for a little bit and there, yeah, there's so much trash that just washes up on the beach on your board. And I don't think it's something that a lot of people realize unless you're kind of in that environment necessarily, or there's, they see a PR campaign about it. But and you see it change over the years, right? I'm sure you saw it over your lifetime as well. Like, it's like, wait a minute, it was not like this. And now it is like that. Even with snowboarding, it's like, there used to be a lot more snow and now there's not as much, you know, with Big Bear where I taught. And I was just like, this is stuff that's happening that we're seeing, right? Like, this Mm -hmm. is real. Yeah. And especially on a long enough timeline, you, you can, you can definitely tangibly see that change. Your, your shift from, I mean, surf and snowboard instructor, which I think is awesome, by the way, um, to producing, what, what was kind of the inspiration around that? I know you wanted to make films, but was it producing is a very specific job for sure. Were, were you kind of lit up by that? Yeah. And I'm, I started at the bottom. Like I was on my 29th birthday. I think I was making $600 a week as an assistant. Uh, like literally that was my first day of work. And like, that was what I was making. So I chose to spend my twenties, like surfing and snowboarding. And I was like, I need to start from the bottom. I need to learn everything that I can. Um, I was an assistant to two heads of a, a production company and I learned a ton from them and they did a lot of uh, programming for Nat Geo, a lot for Discovery, which was like my dream job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just went in there and I was a terrible assistant. Like, I'm so thankful for those guys for giving me a chance. Like I had never worked in an office environment. I didn't know how to work a printer. Like it was very stressful for me. Um, and so, but I, I figured it out. I learned it. And I just kept working my way up. 
And so it was something that I think, you know, being a 29 year old in a sea of 22 year olds who are also doing that job, it gave me that motivation of being like, I know what I want. I need to go for it. I just need to work hard, keep my head down and go. Um, and so it was from there kind of like promotion, you know, I went from assistant to, you know, a production assistant to, you know, associate producer, production coordinator, associate producer, producer, and then running uh, the integration department at the production company I was at when I left. And so um, it was uh, it, it, the discipline that it took to work that hard uh, was really helpful uh, building my own company. So because, yeah, that's that's what I wanted to, to talk about. You know, you you take this leap into suddenly, OK, I'm going to make this product. I'm going to solve this problem. And then I would imagine there's a there's a moment where you're like, wait, am I am I really going to jump in and do this? Uh, OK, I'll, I'll leave. I'll figure this out. I mean, what what did you do when you're like, OK, now what? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I guess so first, um, for anybody who's listening, who's not familiar with Bite, our first product was a dry toothpaste tablet. So it's a dry toothpaste tablet. It comes in a glass jar with an aluminum lid and compostable refill pouches. So the whole idea is that instead of, you know, set, uh, throwing out a plastic toothpaste tube or even recycling a glass jar every time, you just keep refilling it infinitely. And so since then, we've released mouthwash tablets, bamboo toothbrush, uh, floss, whitening gel, and most recently deodorant all plastic free and aligned with our values with ingredients, transparency and um, vegan cruelty free. Um, but back at the beginning, I mean, it was like me sitting. I mean, it started as like, OK, like how does not exist? Right. And like what did exist was like tasted terrible or came in plastic. And I was like, OK, so how do I how would I make this if I wanted to make it perfect for me and for my friends who are in the same situation. So I took online chemistry classes. I started talking to dentists and dental hygienists. Like I would stack my drive, like from my house to my office for production. I would stack it with calling like any friend that became like a dentist, a chemist, like a dental hygienist. Like I didn't care if they worked reception at a dental office. I was like, Hey, can you like, let me know. Like I was hitting up people on Facebook, just being like, what do you think of this? And what do you think of these ingredients? And you know, what do you think of these things? And so it was from there that I was like, okay, so I'm going to make a powder. And I didn't want to actually put it in a tablet form because buying a tableting machine was a thousand dollars. And I was like, that's kind of absurd. Like, I was like, this is a hobby. Like, I'm just kind of interested in this. I'm not going to, you know, put a thousand dollars into this, you know? And so I tried like making these like little balls. Like I mixed it with coconut oil and tried to like pipe it out with like a um, pastry thing yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, and I tried to bake it. And I set my toaster oven on fire and I was like, okay, like, this is it. I just got to get a, um, sorry, my dog's right here. He's barking at people. I was like, I just have to get a, um, a tableting machine. So I bought a tableting machine and had no idea how to use it. I had to fly to Texas to get trained on how to use this tableting machine. Um, and I did, I, I did that. And then I was literally pressing these things out in my living room. And, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was definitely a start. That's for some, that's for sure. So when was your decision to, you know, walk away from producing and jump into actually just doing this? I mean, cause you're, you're doing it in your living room. I'd imagine it was a bit of like kind of a side hustle. You're like, you know what, I'm just going to try and figure this out and get this to people around me and product test it and get some feedback. Um, but you know, there was a certain point where bite became a real company. That's a good question. So I actually, and this is advice that I give to other uh, founders. Cause I feel like there's, there's so much um, contradicting advice that I feel like I have to be the one on the table say, or someone at the table saying this. Um, I took a really long time to quit my job. Like I, I didn't, I didn't quit my TV job until bite had gone so like bonkers viral that like it was pulling me into it. Like there was no option, but to quit my job and do this. Um, and I did that for a few reasons. Like one, you know, at the beginning, when you have this company, it's this baby bird of a company, you know, and you're doing all these things to protect it and feed it and keep it safe. And you're trying to do, you know, like marketing and every, every little dollar matters. And I didn't want to feed myself from that little like harmless baby bird. I was like, this is not something that I should kill. And so that was something where I was like, okay, I, you know, I'm going to stay at my TV job because I like it. Um, but then also like I was able to then funnel like that money that I was making that I wasn't using to live all went into my business. So I got to make mm -hmm. all of the right choices right off the bat. So we used glass instead of plastic, even though it's way more expensive. We used aluminum for our lids instead of plastic. A lot of the companies that ha have come out, you know, previous, like since we've launched, 
you know, you, they kind of make these shortcuts that I see when I was at the beginning being like, oh, I know you're doing that because it's cheaper, but then it totally contradicts what you're trying to do. Right. And so all these different things, I was able to use the highest quality ingredients. I didn't have very good margins, but it was all totally fine because I was able to sustain myself from my, my, my TV job. And so I kind of saw that as like the investor in my company, you know, like my salary as an investor. And I grew that way. And so it wasn't until we ended up having a um, video go viral on Facebook that really launched the company. And it went from, I had done, I think $6,000 in sales that first year to then $200,000 in sales within like a few days. And the video wow. had like a few million views that had like 2 million views within the first few days and then $200,000. And I was still making this stuff in my living room. Yeah. I was going to say, are you just in your living room, just sitting there all day? I had to stop. <laughs> like that was, it's actually really funny because so my, my boyfriend uh, jumped in and he's now my co-founder. He does our brand and creative. And he, at one point I was like, oh my God, I have to make so many tablets. And he was like, you need a manufacturer. And I was like, oh, I need a manufacturer. <laughs> like, That's what we need. So I literally, you know, at that point I had to like stop everything I was doing. I had to find a manufacturer, teach them how to make this super weird product, all these different ingredients that it was new to them. And we had to find a manufacturer and kind of get going. So that's what we did. And, um, and that was like, kind of that was, yeah, that was the beginning. So that was like, all right, now I got to quit my job. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like, finally, I was like that I have, but I still actually, I gave them like more than two weeks. Cause I wanted to make sure that I had the person who was doing my job and a good point. Cause I get it. Like now I'm a business owner. Like you don't want someone to just like leave. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to leave them in a bad spot. So I was like, okay, I just need to do both jobs <laughs> and I need to do that. So that's what I did for quite some time. Yeah. And from like a a founder perspective for other people that are, that are starting businesses, like I I love that your story is this way because I think there's so much excitement around just like, you know, I quit my job and I started this, but there is, there's a lot of grit and a lot of work that's got to go into building any company. I think it's been communicated that it's, it's a lot easier than it seems. Um, the, the late nights, the literal hours in, in your living room doing this when, you know, you aren't technically paying yourself for it. Um, what was that like, that process where you were like, okay, now I'm actually going to leave. I'm going to jump in into this full time. Like, was it scary at all? Were you like, okay, I got this. I'm taking the reins. No, I was terrified. So, I mean, I guess like the first thing, like the case to staying at your day job, right. For as long as you possibly can, besides the financial, uh, reason, which is huge, right? Like we all need to eat and we all, and, and you don't want to feed your comp- yourself off your company too soon. That is like, mm-hmm. a, like a, a great way to start making bad short-term decisions um, that are not going to put you in a great spot. Right. So I think that's like one thing, but then the other thing is that the work ethic that's built when you're working full-time at your day job, and then you're working full-time at your passion is the exact uh, discipline and work ethic that you're going to need to maintain this now new booming, uh, you know, career or job or, or company, you know? And so when I look at, when I look back and I think how I was working TV, I'd work, you know, like nine to seven, and then I would work uh bite like eight to two in the morning. And it's like, those are kind of the hours that we put in the first three years, even after I quit my job. So it's like, it was just, it was the same amount of work. It just was no longer for another person. It was just Mm -hmm. for bite at that point. And I think, you know, thank goodness I built that muscle um, then because not many people operate that way, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that um, there's a lot about work-life balance. All that's totally true. I think when you first start a company, you need to accept the fact that you will be totally out of balance. Like if starting a company Mm -hmm. was super easy and you could have like a totally easy work-life balance, blah, blah, everyone would do it, right? Everyone Mm -hmm. would have incredibly successful companies. Like the whole thing is that it is a lot of work and you have to Mm -hmm. do it. And it, um, and it, you know, hopefully if you're really lucky, it pays off. Um, But so I think that that's something, you know, that I was, I didn't really know at the time would be such um, a, a blessing, right? Like something that I was like, holy cow, that really trained me um, in a really helpful way. And then I would say, you know, yeah, quitting my job, I thought it was going to feel awesome. I thought that I was going to be like, peace out guys. Yeah. But in, in reality, like, I mean, we had gone viral. I didn't have a manufacturer, like everything felt really insane. Like I felt like I could, you know, be going broke at any time. Like all of a sudden every customer could be like, we want refunds. We won't have it yet. And, you know, and it felt very scary. And 
I liked my job very much. I liked the women that I worked for a whole lot. And so I felt like I was like leaving on this like scary adventure like without my friends, you know, I was like, crap. Like, and you know, it was at that time, it was like my boyfriend and I, and he hadn't even jumped in full-time either. He actually was running a different startup, which was taking an insane amount of his time. So I was like, dude, I'm really going at this my own, very scary. I'm leaving something that I like very much. Um, and I'm really excited, but I'm also underslept and I'm, you know, it, it was kind of like the whole, it was a whole lot, but it definitely did not feel the way that I thought it was going to feel. I thought I was going to be like, Oh, what a great relief. But instead it was more like, I got to, I got to get this person to do this. And I got to get manufacturer for that. And I got to get these orders out. You know, there was um, very little time for celebration or like, mm-hmm. you know, even self-reflection. It was really just like, okay, quit and got to move on and, and get this other fire, you know, so. Well, and I think that's part of, that's part of the narrative too, that I think a lot of people miss when you, when you are building a company, it's you, you, the stress level, if you will, or the, or the things to do that never changes. And there's no point in which you quote unquote made it. You just have bigger problems um, that people don't see behind the, behind the closed door. And that's a good thing. And that's a thing. It's like, if you don't have bigger problems, then it means you're not doing bigger things. Right. And it's like, that's mm-hmm. the whole thing where like, it, you de- you never do feel like you've made it. You never do feel like you've got there because you're constantly being like, okay, well now we've expanded to this and now we have to do that. And so, mm-hmm. and I think that's a really good thing. I mean, that's the same thing about, you know, chasing sustainability. Like when I tell, they're like, oh, what do I do to be a sustainable company? And I'm like, well, like, it's a constant, you know, it's a moving goalpost and you have to keep up with it all the time. Like it takes a, a huge amount of my job. And like, it's, it's constantly being like, what are the new technologies? What's the new processes? What's this? It's not like set it and forget it. You're constantly, constantly chasing this thing. And I think that's the same thing as building a company is that you're just constantly doing new things. And that's, that's, that's the way it should be. Yeah, definitely. And so when you guys stabilized and actually, well, stabilized is a relative term, but when you, when you actually got those initial virality uh, products out, what did it, what did it kind of look like as you were thinking about, okay, how do we build this into something even bigger, different categories, different ways? I mean, what you're doing as a, as a founder and as a company, you guys are transforming the toothpaste industry, the, the crest, you know, brighten your teeth kind of industry. You're taking on like Goliaths, if you will. Um, what did that kind of look like from your perspective of, Hey, we're going to take this on and we're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, luckily, like because of the way we had started, there was no insecurity in what we were doing. Right. It wasn't like I've done a bunch of market research and been like, should I do this or should I do that? Like, it was like, no, I started, I started this weird company with this weird product because I had this weird need, you know, and like that I was going to make it regardless whether or not like a market survey told me so. Right. But I think when it came down to, you know, launching our toothpaste, going viral, getting that under control, getting orders out to customers, getting feedback, there was a lot of iteration on the product itself. So we, um, you know, I would say the first few years, I mean, still like we we're constantly iterating, trying to make it better, <clears throat> trying to make it mintier, foamier, make it stay, you know, better in humidity, make it, you know, add newer and better ingredients. So there's a lot of iteration. Um, and I, I, I like am obsessed with our customers. I am our customer. And so I'm always thinking like, what can we do to make it better for them, easier for them? Um, and I think that there is a, you know, it, and from that, it, that's how we started coming up with new products. Like for me, it was like, okay, well, definitely, you know, it's toothpaste. We should have a toothbrush and it should be bamboo. Cause if not, they're gonna be getting from somewhere else. Then you have two different things shipping to this person and like, why not just figure out bamboo toothbrushes? And so we, you know, figured that out. We were actually one of the first companies in the U S to have, um, the hundred percent plastic free toothbrush with the caspian oil bristles. And so we were actually getting them imported from the Netherlands to get put into our bamboo toothbrushes. And now it's actually rather common, thank goodness. But like, those are the types of things that I was like, you know, we can do this. We have the money to do this. We have the passion to do this. I have the like obsessive research to do this. Like, you know, this is something. And so from there, it was like, well, if we're going to do toothbrush, then we should do floss. And if we're going to do floss, like, what about a mouthwash tablet? And so then I actually made the mouthwash tablet here, like the first um, iterations of it, I was making it. And then I taught our manufacturer how to make it. And, um, and then through there, our customers were the one who asked for whitening gel. So um, they had, they had been asking for it for a long time. 
And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do that. You know, and I was trying to think like, how could I best do this? So I started looking into like, what is whitening gel and how can it be like, how is it stabilized and what's in it and how can we make it better? And so that's kind of how, and then once we had figured out this bamboo toothbrush with the Caspian oil bristle, it was like, oh my gosh, can we just make that into the application brush? And so what we ended up with is a whitening gel that comes in a glass bottle with an aluminum lid with the same material that we use for a bamboo toothbrush. So a Mosa bamboo handle and a Caspian oil bristle. And it's just like, oh, well, that all came together really easy, you know, like after like, you know, all of this time. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of just thinking common sense, like what would I want? And then also listening to our customers because they're super smart. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And, and they give, and they find stuff that maybe you're not looking at or looking for, you know, I, I think a lot of times when you create products, it's very easy to kind of solve the problem for yourself. And that's great. But then when you start going outside, like customers are everything like that is the feedback. I mean, and, and I'll definitely say the mouthwash tablets, love, love them. They're awesome. They're so cool. Um, like I, I just think like the innovation in the space is really interesting um, because it is a, it's a novel concept. It's a different concept, but it's also, it's one of the areas in sustainability that I don't think a lot of people would ever look at. Like they don't look at their bathroom. They look at their, their house, the solar panels, the energy, their, you know, reusable bags or water bottles. Nobody was like, you know what? I want to look at the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's exciting. I think people are really starting to kind of question like what they're doing and what the impact is on the planet. And they're looking for more solutions that are like ours, um, whether it's in the bathroom or in their you know kitchen, in their backyard. Um, and I think it's just, it's a really cool time to be making these innovative things because people are actually receptive, right? I don't know mm-hmm. if 10 years, this would have been the case. Like, you know, I think it's like really exciting that we are where we are right now as a society. Definitely. And and so your newest product that just got released is the deodorant. Was that an entirely different process? Was it kind of like the whitening gel? Like now you're and now you're going through a bigger product launch too, because this is definitely kind of like a different category, if you will. Yeah. Deodorant was huge. Deodorant was a massive undertaking for us as a team. And it was, it's funny because it was something that like none of our customers had really asked for, but me as a customer of lower waste and zero waste products, I was like, there is some serious improvement to be had here, you know? And so that was kind of the way that we went about that. And that was, so, you know, what's different about our deodorant is right now there is, and I think this is about the mouthwash too. So I think a lot of times these products that are being made for the lowest zero waste community are not actually used by the people who are making them. And I think that that is the Mm -hmm. biggest problem. And I think that, you know, with the mouthwash, it's like mouthwash tablets are out there. They've been out there for a really long time, but it was always the ones that you like drop in water and then you have to wait and then you swish around. And I was just like, who wants to wait? You know what I'm saying? Like who, and like for me personally, and I wasn't crazy about the taste. And I was like, and that meant I had to have a little glass cup by my sink. And I was like, this is, I'm not going to have this year. Like, this doesn't make any sense. So I was like, okay, like if I was, if I was actually going to use this every day, like, what would it be? You know, like what, how would I want to, and I would be like, okay, cool. There's no way I'd want to wait. I'd want to be able to just pop it in my mouth, take a sip of water, like from the faucet, you know, like from my (laughs) hand and make it work. Cause I was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to make it. And that was kind of the same product with deodorant where I have been using all these low waste, zero waste deodorants. I had used the one that comes in the glass jar. I mean, there's quite a few that you like, Mm -hmm. it's the paste and you put your fingers under your armpits. And I was like, I hate that. I was like, I do not like waking up in the morning and putting my fingers under my armpits and then trying to wash this like waxy thing off. I was like, this is a, this is not cool. Um, I mean, I actually liked the deodorant a lot, um, but I didn't like that process. And so I was like, so anybody who's even on the cusp of wanting to be zero waste or not is going to shy away from that because it's not like a fun thing. Right. So I was like, okay, then I'll try this stuff in the paper tubes. And it's so funny because I literally thought this was just me, but then I tell the story and everyone's like, Oh my God, me too. So I was using the ones in the paper tubes and like about halfway through every time, like the top would start fraying, like, because my sweaty armpit and I couldn't get the, I couldn't get the lid back on like the top of the the tube was there and I couldn't Mm -hmm. get the lid back on and then we start just like disintegrating. And I was like, this is a disaster. You know, I was like, this is not holding up. Like, this is not the people who came up with this solution. I don't think are using it every day, you know, or they don't have as sweaty arms as I do. But then I talked to everybody, they're like, same thing happens to me. And I'm like, okay. So the idea was we would take a paper refill. So kind of similar to the cardboard refills that we've all seen, or like the cardboard, um, you know, tubes that we'd all see, but also instead of putting like one finger up there and like trying to like put it on your armpit. I was like, we need to be able to put all of like, at least like two or three fingers, like, you know, on there. So it's like an actual 
it just feels way better, like way more stable. And instead of having the cardboard, we made a case. So it's a metal, it's basically this like beautiful, shiny metal case um, with the, uh, it's aluminum case with the cardboard refill. So you put the cardboard refill inside the case and then you push it up from the bottom and it basically will stay there. So it's, and it will stay there. So like, even if it doesn't, like for some reason your slips down because like maybe it, the formula constricts cause you're in a cold place or a hot place or whatever, it's still not hard to push up. You know, it's like very easy to push up, but it, works like a totally regular deodorant like it would be in plastic you know it's just like the deodorant but it's there but there's no plastic at all and so that was something where like for me it was like how do I make a product that is something that does not feel like a compromise um and then you know on top of that feels like something you actually want in your life like we chose to make it like super beautiful with this like chrome mirror finish Mm -hmm. and um and it's crazy because it seems so small like the way that it is but it actually is almost it's like the same size as a lot of uh commercial deodorant Mm -hmm. that's in there so it's just like there it's like it's two ounce a little over two ounces so it's like same size but um but yeah so that was kind of the whole process and then you know for a small team you don't think about all that goes into the deodorant, right? Cause then you have like mm-hmm. the formula. And so it needed to be palm oil free. I didn't want it to have baking soda. Cause that has a, a lot of people have reactions to that, but it needed to be effective. And then you have the component that's the aluminum, which is like, okay, that was custom componentry. We had to like create what's it's going to look like, how it's going to work and feel and be. And then there was the refill, you know? So like, how is this going to work? How's the riser going to go? And so um, you know, at that point for the majority of deodorant, like we've been working up past year, there was like six of us or eight of us. And so like, that mm-hmm. was a huge initiative. Um, and so we finally got it out last week. It was, you know, it was ridiculous. It was like phenomenally successful more than I ever could have thought. I think that what was so exciting is, um, you know, I think people were really pumped to have something that just looks beautiful. Um, and then the, the sense that we chose, I think people were really were excited about too. Um, so overall, I, like we're so happy, but like it was so much work. And and one of the things that I mean, I re- I remember I got I got the email when you guys launched um the product, and I was like, this is so interesting, and not the category that I was thinking of. Go into immediately, and the detail that you guys went into to actually go through all of the all of the materials, chemical like everything that makes up the deodorant. It was so incredibly transparent and. That I would love if you can talk more about the transparency of things because specifically you any type of healthcare beauty product generally is extremely lacking in transparency and that's something that you guys have always kind of remained very strong on. Um, how has that kind of been through the whole company that transparency aspect for the consumers? Yeah, I think it's so important. I think that we owe it to them. And I think that that's something that that's the reason that our company that like this small team kind of operating out of a living room have been able to go against the big guys because our customers aren't just customers, they become advocates and they become advocates because we, we give them all of the information that we possibly can. And we're totally transparent with them. And so it's funny that you kind of talking about the ingredients. I literally was the one who wrote that blog post and you can tell us it looks like crap. Um, I no, it looks great. It like two nights before we're going to make it pretty. Like I had no idea it was going to be that. Like we looked at it. It was like Shopify gives you these metrics on the back end. And they're like, this blog post is one of the most successful blog posts of its time. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm like, no one's supposed to be seeing that right now. I'm like, it's literally just text. There's like no photos or anything, but we're going to make it pretty. Uh, It just hasn't been pretty yet. But what we did is, you know, we had to make a choice, right? So in our deodorant, we had to choose if we were going to say fragrance or if we were going to list out every single ingredient in these fragrances. And for me, I was like, I'm not going to have an ingredients list that's like 42 million things long because it loses the importance. Like at that point, it just, you look at it and you're like, I don't know what any of this means. Like I'm out of here. And so I was like, we're going to we're going to say the word fragrance, like the F word, we're going to say it and we're going to put an asterisk next to it. And we're going to explain to them what this means and why. And we specifically worked with the fragrance houses that we did because they, you know, one of the things starting with them was like, we will absolutely not let you hide behind this intellectual property, whatever crap, like there is zero chance that the chance, you know, a lot of people will rely on that as proprietary information. And I get like, I would never give anybody the percentages of how to make our tablets totally get it. And we wouldn't give people the percentages of what's in there, but just to give the ingredients is like, someone's going to have to 
like really try so hard to try to copy your exact scent. Like, how is that proprietary? You know, like how, how is that a threat? So for us, I was like, that's not allowed. Like just straight up, it's not. So if you want to work with us, then we need to be able to list every single ingredient in our fragrance. And so they were, and like, you know, obviously the other things are, it needs to be safe. It needs to be this, that, that. So they were like, okay, cool. We went into the partnership knowing that. And so what we did is I actually took everything in our um, fragrances and I wrote what it is and why it's there. And so, you know, a lot of things that are in natural fragrance are actually, they don't make it vegan. And there are things that are not cruelty free. And that was something that we'd absolutely, there was no way that I would allow that to happen. And so there were, you know, kind of concessions that we made where we would put in like an ambroxin, which is a, it, it, um, man, I can never say this word. It's like amber, amber juice, amber or something. It's from a whale. And it's like, it's that, it's that really um, kind of sexy, ambery smell that is like really popular. And in high-end perfumes it i mean it's very rare to be from a whale at this point because like no and it's from sperm whales in particular it's just not that's not but in higher perfume, that's where it came from right and so mm-hmm. now there's these different um ingredients or these different chemical makeups that can mimic that scent and so you don't have to not have that scent and they're still safe they're not natural and we're very you know we say that it's a safe synthetic um but it's there because it does need to be something that people love and people want. And I think that that's something that they, and they want to smell. And I think that it wasn't a compromise in these cases, as long as you're being, you know, transparent and that you're using things that are safe. Um, to me, it was no compromise in that, in that way. Um, and so that's the choice that I, you know, had made as a CEO. And then we did, we did keep one of our fragrances 100% naturally derived and that's our Neroli fragrance. So Neroli is all botanicals. Um, you know, cause something also that we were going up against is we didn't want to use common allergens. Right. And so that's a lot of time botanicals create. And specifically on air armpits too. Yeah. Yes. It's really sensitive mm-hmm. skin. And so that was something that we were up against too. So that was a whole thing where I was like, you know, and this was kind of, you know, a dialogue that I like had to have in my head with our customer before we did this being like, you know, do I think they're going to be okay with this? Yes, I do. As long as I say exactly why, you know, and we need to be just totally like, this is the choice that we made and this is why, and, you know, always open to getting feedback and everything. But so far, I mean, everybody totally gets it. They, you know, they, mm-hmm. we see what they see why. And because I think transparency is so rare, which is so terrible to say, I think honestly, people are just like, we're just glad that you put what's in it. (laughs) Like, that's just, you know, like, and so I think that's, you know, as we kind of continue to expand our product line, as we make, you know, products that want to be effective and beloved and, you know, either natural or safe synthetics, but always done with intention. um, I think that those are the types of things, conversations we'll be having more. So do you think that that's kind of, I, I think a lot of your success as a company, I mean, it's not only, you know, doing something innovative, but you, you have this mindset of always thinking about the customer and what they would think. Does that come from the side that you are a consumer and you are that type of person with all of your products? And then how does that pull into actually how you decide to make decisions in the company? Like, is that, is that like a really huge guiding principle for you guys? Yeah, it is uh, for both things. So one, I am our customer. So I, I try to think a lot about what I'm looking and, I, and the purchasing decisions that I make and why mm-hmm. and the information that I look and why. Um, so that's been just, I feel super, like super helpful, you know, and I think that that's like a superpower that I kind of have, you know, where it's like, this is the first time I'm running a company. I did not expect Bike to be a company, right? Like I was like, I'm solving a problem. Um, but I think that I've been able to kind of turn into the superpower of being like, I understand because this is me. I, you know, and it's like, I don't try to project entirely. Like there's always going to be things that are going to be different and people want different things, especially as our customer base expands. There's people who care a little less about sustainability, but they want stuff that like smells really good and looks really good in their home. And so, you know, I think as, as we grow, Um, Our customer base looks a little less and less like me, but always the heart is going to be the advocates who tell their friends and family who kind of started this all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, and that's me, like I'm the one like in the room who's like, you guys have to try this new vegan chicken. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't (laughs) shut up. I'm like, daring foods is the best, you know? And it's like, and so, and I've always been a huge advocate about those types of things. And I feel like there's a lot of people like me. And so I'm like, I'm, I try to make products for people like, you know, that who do the same thing. And so that, and that's why they're always, they have 
you know, crazy standards, because in order to get that sort of reaction where people love it, you have to go above and beyond, you know? And so, um, that's something that's always been important. And then as a company, you know, we try to, I like do it the same way, you know, it's like, we're a small team. Um, we're all like, so lucky. I've been able to bring in people who are just incredibly good at what they do. I feel like they are like, so they're smarter than me. They know how to do their stuff, like their jobs way better than I ever could. And they're here to really help me and tell me and, and, and help me like, tell me what to do. You know, like the, like our guy running supply chains and tell me what he needs, you know, I'm like, cool. My job is to make that happen for you. And like, same with new product development. She's like, I need these things. I'm like, cool. That's what we're going to make for you. You know, like, you know, have it happen for you. And so I think like, I kind of see that as my, like, I'm kind of guiding the ship, but everybody on here is just really freaking smart. <laughs> and so <laughs> I am, um, we've gotten really lucky so far. How does that feel for you? I mean, you're, you're now CEO of I mean, a really fast growing and baitable from your end, but like successful company. How does it feel being the CEO of that? Like as a person? I feel like what people always get into whatever this like imposter. I don't, I don't take things that seriously, but I'm just like, <laughs> it just doesn't. I'm just like someone who is making toothpaste in a living room, you know, and we're all trying to figure these things out. And we're, you know, we're, we're, I think that we um, all have, like what's really important to me is that everyone kind of has like separate but equal superpowers. And so everybody's bringing um, these things to the table and we're able to, to work together in a really high functioning and fast way. And so for me, that's, I kind of, you know, I guess it's like, I played competitive sports growing up. Like I was, I was, I, yeah. Oh yeah. So snow, snowboard instructor, surf instructor, but then also um, like I played soccer, travel soccer for forever. And I was the goalie. Like I was always into like the things by myself, like I guess, but it was, it's, it's like, you know, bringing together the team and then having trust that everyone's going to get, get it done and, and make it happen and keep getting better and challenge each other to get better. And so, um, that's the mentality we have and it's, um, that's yeah, really fun. So I know that work-life balance is always a bit of a struggle. Um, but when you do get a little bit of that life balance, what is, what is your favorite place to enjoy nature? Man, I, I mean, oh my God, that's so that's so hard to say. I guess I can't, I can't make a forever trip, but I can do like right now. So I got into free diving during quarantine. Um, and I had been, you know, I've been scuba certified for a long time, but I started just, yeah, I started free diving during quarantine and I really, really like it. And I never thought I would, I was like, what, it's kind of just like snorkeling with us. <laughs> like, what the heck is the point mm -hmm. of this thing? But it's actually like, it's so fun. And, um, I think that it's like a really, a really cool way to appreciate the ocean. Um, and again, I'd like also been a, a surf instructor or a surfer for so long that you're always on top of it. Um, but I really like, um, I really like free diving and I really like being able to get into, um, and it's like, you're, you're down under the water and you're not scaring um, the animals with your tank or anything like that. You know, when you're scuba, you're like all so loud and everything. And so it's just a totally different experience. Um, and you're, you also are down there way faster. So it's like up and down and up and down. And there's really great places to, to do that around here where there's some kelp beds and there's some places with, uh, the sea lions and little Harbor seals. And so it's been, that's been something that, um, yeah, learning to do over quarantine and then doing that has been really, really nice. But I mean, also just the woods, like the woods, the yeah. forests. I mean, there's, it's, I, I don't get out in nature as often as I should. Um, but so at least that's why free diving is kind of easy for me to do now too. So I, I've never gone free diving. What, I mean, I know there's a certain level of like, oh man, I'm holding my breath underwater and I'm going pretty far, far down. What was that learning experience like for you to do that? Crazy. It's crazy. And I really recommend, really recommend people do it because it's, it's totally, it's, I was actually very scared of it. I did not like the idea of building up, like, what is it? You build up the carbon dioxide in your blood and like, okay. So, so first of all, I got professionally trained. I took classes. Mm -hmm. So, um, which I recommend everybody do like the free diving. They talk about how incredibly dangerous it is. It's dangerous. If you're not trained, it's dangerous if you're pushing yourself to limits. Right. And like in a competition sense. And so it's really not dangerous if you're just kind of like messing around the way mm -hmm. I am. Um, but so I took classes and it's really interesting because so when you hold your breath, um, you're basically like, you do this thing, I forget what everything's called, but you're like face down in the water. And like, just, so you're just putting your face in the water and you have a bunny on you and they're tapping you at like every 15 second interval. And you're trying to hold your breath as long as you can. 
And what will happen is that your body will like panic and your body is panicking because there's a buildup of oxygen in your, uh, or no, buildup of CO2, buildup of something. And your body's like, get this out, right? And so what happens is like, there's like a kick where like, it really wants you to get it out. And if you push past that kick, which means like literally like go through your internal panic and be like, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to keep my head underwater. You actually have a, like another minute or so that you can hold your breath, which is crazy. So instead of like the 45 seconds that everyone's used to, and like, look, anybody listening at home, do not just go and do this. Like, yeah, <laughs> don't, definitely not. And we're not recommending this. <laughs> in any way, shape or form, you need to go with an instructor. Um, but it was just like kind of feeling that, that physical limit of kids, like surfing, snowboarding, whatever, constantly pushing myself to limits. I like that feeling that limit and then going past it is like very cool, you know, and it was, and so we, you do it in a pool at first and then you do it in the water. And, um, so the, you know, for our, my certification test at the end, you have to do something called like line Like you take, a, there's like a, a line where it goes all the way down and you're supposed to, you have these huge fins and you have to go all the way down to the, um, you know, this flag and the instructors with you the whole time. And then when you start feeling like, Oh, okay. Like this is, this is stressful. Like this is, and it's really freaking cold. I'm in California. It's freaking cold. So you're just like, and it's really cold down there and it's dark down there and it's really clear down there. And so you get past like kind of the chop of the wave and then you get down and it's just like, it's cold and quiet and dark and you can't breathe. And so you're like, okay, this is it. I'm going back up. And so I did, I don't, I didn't get, I think I was like, I ranked in the middle of the class of how, of how well I did, but it's really fun. And then once you do that and you go through your training, then there's little places that you can go like in Pacific Palisades where you can go and see like little puffer fish and like little like lobster and like all these really cool things. And they're just there and like, they're totally not scared of you. And, um, and yeah, it's really, really cool. And, and you don't need any gear. I mean, besides a wetsuit and your fins. So. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Do you do you think that that kind of I mean, I, I, I translate a lot of that to the uncomfortable feeling that you get in life in business when, you know, you have the stress you have that. Is it about pushing past it is it about being mindful of it? And then, you know, pushing past it mindfully? Do you feel like you translate some of those skills, not just from the water to business, but business to water? Yeah, 100%. I think all sports are like that, too. I think rock climbing, uh, it's all um, understanding your limits and then um, knowingly, calmly and like patiently going beyond them um, mm -hmm. to where and like kind of stretching. Um, and I think that, and it's, it's also, I mean, there's a lot of training that goes with those sports, like all of those things, you don't just go up on a mountain, you know? And so I think no. that that's something <laughs> that's really important too, where it's like, it's very mindful. Um, and it really keeps you in the moment. I think that, I think actually, now that we're talking about it, I think they all, because they're kind of like not dangerous, but like, they're, you know, they're high alert situations. They, they make mm -hmm. you go in flow. Um, and when you're really into, when I'm really into bite, when I'm really into my work, I spend a lot of time in flow. And so it's that same kind of flow state, um, you know, whether it's, you know, rock, rock climbing or um, free diving or surfing or snowboarding or doing an interview or, you know, mm -hmm. figuring out new products and like researching um, ingredients and like really getting into things. It's a, it's a flow state. Um, and I think that the more you spend in it, the better you get, the more you um, understand it, the more you see it. Uh, and you can't just always do it with work. So you have to find yeah. other places too. Totally. I mean, I, I remember I started getting into climbing when, when I moved to Boulder and yeah, you, when you start bouldering and you know, you're, you're on your first outdoor boulder and you're, you know, 18 feet up or something, you go, oh man, this, I, I have to keep going. Cause if I drop, it's really going to hurt and I'm going to have to keep going up. I have to finish this. And it's a really interesting state of flow you get into is like you, you suddenly get incredibly focused. And you're like, okay, I just have to do this, this, and this. And, you know, what's the difference of this than in the gym when I've done it a hundred times? And I, I think that that's such a, it's such a interesting experience to have, um, that, that high focus and state of flow. Yeah. 100%. And like in that position, like right when you said bouldering, I guess you realize like panic is a luxury that you cannot afford. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like getting like panicky or upset or concerned is like absolutely not going to help the situation no. and so you have to shove it like deep down in you and carry on and i think that's incredibly helpful 
honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's really helpful in stressful work situations. Um, and I think it's really helpful in bouldering situations, you know, in all those situations mm-hmm. too. It's like panic is not an option here. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, and then, and then that satisfaction when you're, when you're done and you get to the top, it's, it's a really awesome feeling. You're like, wow, I achieved that. And then it doesn't seem as scary at all. And I always, I always found that interesting. Um, yeah. So I also had another question for you. So do you remember your first sustainable product that you purchased that you were like, I'm going to be consciously sustainable about this purchase? Oh man, that is a great, great question. I think mine is really basic. I think it's, if it's not a reusable water bottle, like an aluminum, like the basic, basic water bottle, then it was a canvas bag. Like literally, I feel like those were the two that um, I feel like, you know what? It would have been the water bottle. Cause like I used to carry that thing around in high school. <laughs> like, and I'm old, I'm 37. <laughs> so like that was a long time ago, but yeah, I used to have a reusable water bottle in high school. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that was that. That's awesome. Yeah. I, it's, it's so interesting. Um, so there's a, the, yeah, that, that, and then, and the nature question is actually what I ask. Um, every guest that comes on. And it's so interesting to hear the responses because a lot are actually water bottles. Some are actually, I bought something that I knew I was going to keep for 30 years. And that was really interesting. Um, it, so it was, it was like, I, I bought, um, I think it was like a, it was like a chair. I think it was. And it was like, it's incredibly well-built chair. They're like, I'm not going to need to replace this for a very long time. And it was just this idea of like, sustainability is also about resilience. It's like, how can it last longer? And like, even tying it to your product, like, yes, glass is recyclable, but glass also lasts as long as it doesn't break. So it's something that can stay for a long time. And that's what I always found fascinating about sustainability is that it's, it's kind of a hot topic right now. And it's a very common word that people are throwing around, but not necessarily encompassing what it actually means. Um, and it's, it's, it's really how you can incorporate it into your life in a way that, you know, it's not a big effort by everybody necessarily. It's a small effort by every single person that makes a big impact. Yeah. I, and I love different takes on sustainability, what that means to different people. You know, it's mm-hmm. like some people think sustainability to them. When you say it, they're like plastic free. Some are like vegan. Some are, some are the opposite leather. wool. these are sustainable options. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it's really interesting to see um, how it's become personal, um, which I think is cool. People should have opinions on it. It's a good thing. So if, if somebody was looking to be a little bit more sustainable in their life, what would be something that you would say to start with? If they're like, look, I'm really interested in this, I'm, but I'm not kind of like totally on board yet. I'm just kind of interested. What would you be like? Hey, you should go do this. Well, I'm a little biased. <laughs> I would say, my toothpaste. Uh, no, I, I mean, I would say though, something that I, I do really think that it is something that you use every day. It doesn't feel like mm-hmm. a compromise. And it's because you're using it at the first, like first in the morning and at night, like toothpaste is kind of, you're like anchoring your day and making sustainable choices. Um, so I would definitely, you know, if it's not going to be bite toothpaste then any sort of plastic free toothpaste. Um, but then also like looking at the things, the high frequency items that you're using every day. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of times it's like, you don't need a reusable water bottle if you work from home and you don't go out. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't, this is irrelevant. Um, so like, don't, it's not really about, um, you know, and even so it's like, if you're like a really, you know, busy parent and you have to postmate your groceries and that's what you do, you're a postmate or DoorDash or whatever, you don't need canvas bags. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just the way that it is. And so there's other things that you could be doing um, that really do have an impact. Uh, So I would look at, you know, the high frequency things that you're doing every single day. So, you know, looking at the things that you could do um, every day to make that choice. That's awesome. And, and what's kind of your hope for the future of this entire problem of sustainability? Where do you see, um, I guess like the biggest impact being made and what do, you, what do you care most about? Is it the ocean? Is it the forest? Is it? Yeah, I would say, you know, I think first, I think all of the big problems are going to be solved by small businesses. Um, I think that the big guys have been, they've had fair enough time to try to do something and they haven't. They've actually made it a whole lot worse. And I think that it's going to be coming from people in their living room, their kitchens, their garages. Um, I think that that's what's going to be. And I think that, you know, something that's really exciting about Bite is people ask all the time, like, well, what, you know, are do you think it's cool that the big brands are knocking you off? I mean, we looked at one of the biggest toothpaste companies in the world just released a toothpaste tablet and in their description put bite-sized toothpaste bits. And I was like, that's hilarious. For me, it's like, 
that's how real change is going to happen. It's going to be the small businesses proving to big businesses that this is a viable market that people care and they need to get with the program or they're going to be irrelevant dinosaurs. And I think that it's not, I know that like my small business and other small businesses like mine can't do this all on our own. Like we, you know, we are a higher price product and that's the way we will always be. We pay, we pay fair wages. We're made in the U S we work with like really expensive freaking materials and ingredients. But like, I see my job is to prove that there's a market there to prove that people want this. They want the best. And then for the big guys to get on board and make it more accessible for the customers who are okay with some compromises, but they can't afford what we're making. Right. And so I think that that is what, that's when you look at like recycling electric cars, everything, that's the way that it all catches on. And so I think that that's um, what the small businesses are here to do um, and their place in this you know, large equation. I think that we all need to work together um, to fix this problem because it's real and it's our survival and it's eminent. You know? And I think that um, when it comes to me, like, what do I care about? I mean, I care about too much. That's the freaking problem. Like I'm super <laughs> passionate about um, you know, climate change obviously is a gigantic terrifying problem, ocean acidification and ocean obsessed with the ocean, rainforest deforestation. That is a huge issue. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like it's across the board mm-hmm. and I'm So, you know, better agricultural laws and, uh, you know, better animal, um, treatment, I think is just so important. And so it's, there's a lot of things that I care about. And that's what's one of the really cool things about having a company in this space is that we can kind of keep pioneering where we are. And then I can still kind of figure out like ways that we can help in other ways um, too. I mean, I, I'm so excited for what you've been able to build and do and what's coming next and just all the success that you guys have had so far. I mean, it's it's cool that it, it is getting the attention of the big guys. And I, I love that you that you hit on the fact that it's going to come from the small side. It's it's the innovators that are like, let's solve this problem. And it's big enough that somebody else makes it accessible. Because, I mean, you're right. Your product's not made for everybody. Everybody can use it and should use it. But you weren't targeting that specific person. The person that wants to, you know, buy a $2, you know, thing of toothpaste. They're not going to go, you know what? I'm going to pay, pay a lot more for this. They're they're just not. And it's it's knowing that that shift isn't going to be overnight. You can't make change. You can only inspire it by just walking the path and other people are going to join you. I just wanted to thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. I'm super excited to share it. Um, and I mean, just for taking the time. And I, I think that your personality and your heart that you've been able to put into the product, it comes across the consumer on the creative side. Like the the brand is so fun and approachable and and just yeah, you, you want to use it. You, you can't wait to be able to open up the jar and then pop one in at night. Cause you're like that first like bite into it is nice. And then you're like, Oh man, that mouthwash, that's so satisfying before bed or in the morning. And it's like that, that heart and excitement, I think you really translate into a product, which I, I think is very rare and very, very cool. And, and I think the subtlety gets picked up when people pay attention enough to, you know, what they're doing and consuming. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. This was awesome. This was so great. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat. Byte's story, mission, and quality is truly something groundbreaking in an industry that is often overlooked. Check out their site and order a jar of toothpaste bits and mouthwash, and maybe throw in some deodorant while you're at it. If we can take care of ourselves in a healthier way, and take care of our planet at the same time, it's a win-win. And if you've been enjoying these episodes, share your favorite one with a friend or post it on social media. Your support goes a long way. And the more that the community grows, the more impact that we can have on the world. So thanks again for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat.